how does a regenerative leader um, strategize for his or her business? And um, and you you can't really have a five-year plan. You can have an intention and a vision of where you want to head, but that kind of rigid focus on Q1, Q2, Q3, I mean, it's insane. We are raised in a society where control and fear is quite dominating, and where we can, where our minds can can set ourselves to do all sorts of things. And we have a very hard time letting go of things, although they don't feel right. Um, and for us to be more regenerative beings, we need to be more in tune with what actually feels right and accept the fact that we need to let go of things. Letting go is an art form in and of itself. You're listening to The Spaceship Earth with me, Dan Burgess. Uh, welcome to the show. Thanks for tuning in. This is episode 13. And this is a corker. This um, episode is with uh, Laura Storm from uh, based out in um, in Copenhagen in Denmark. Now, Laura is what I would call a true force of nature. Laura is a thought leader, uh, international keynote speaker within the field of sustainability. She's um, she spent her whole career really um, making global business and organisations aware of the benefits of improved sustainability practices, helping global sustainable solutions have a chance of success and making the sustainability agenda more attractive. Basically, helping businesses be more awesome while being more awesome to people and the planet which sustains them. She's a World Economic Forum Young Global Leader. She's won a Green Biz World Changer Award. She's on the World Economic Forum's Expert Network. Uh, as an expert in sustainable development and climate change. She's an advisory member on the World Economic Forum Shaping the Future of Urban Development. She's actively shaped the Copenhagen Climate Council, the World Business Summit on Climate Change, Project Greenlight, and she led for several years the development of Sustainia, which is, a, I guess, a, a platform and a bit of a mega brand within the sustainability uh, space, sustainable business space, um, with a huge outreach of over 170 million people and about 4,000 plus um, sustainable focused solutions which continue to be um, sort of uh, adopted. So you're probably getting a sense that Laura is a big doer uh, with a lot of energy. Interesting though today her work is, 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 is progressing and is focused more on what she would call um, working towards a regenerative world and we'll chat about that we do chat about that in this conversation. What does that actually mean? But it's, you know, the idea of circular economies and where people are thriving and business is done much more consciously. Uh, and she's doing that through co-creating a new platform called Regenerators, which I'll link to in the show notes. But what I really dig about Laura's work is the human dimension to it now and her deep connection and intuition, if you like, with the more than human world, the wider natural world. And I think that's where we really connected during this conversation. If you want to pursue a, a sustainable world, we need to include the sustainable human. Um, you know, there is no sustainable business with burnt out, stressed people operating in the myth of infinite growth all year round and a sort of power dynamic of command and control leadership. Um, there is no thriving next generation with kids being pushed through a sort of mechanized machine-like system of learning. 
There is no sustainable cities and communities with polluted air and water where nature is seen as a resource or a, or a service purely for kind of extraction uh, purposes. And without reconnecting to the wisdom of how life itself works, we'll probably continue to fry ourselves and the planet which sustains us. And that essentially human health and planetary health are intimately interconnected. So we, we riff a lot on this edge and um, in the conversation and also interesting around the kind of burnout and breakdown, if you like, that has... It's featured in Laura's journey, it's featured in mine and, and many others, I'm sure, um, which I think is really an interesting place to explore. It's sort of um, a vulnerable place, but a really creative place to work from um, with a sort of a new awareness and a new perspective. I think Laura ultimately is a child of the woods and uh, we talk about that relationship as well and where that comes from and, and how uh, she carries that uh, today through her, her journeying. Um, so, okay, really excited by this. This was a great conversation. Um, let's, let's get on with it. This is um, episode 13 with the excellent Laura Storm. So, well, Laura, thank you for finding the time to join me on the Spaceship Earth podcast. Um, Thank you, Dan. I'm so excited. Yeah, excellent. And you're um, you're in is it Copenhagen? Is that yes? For you? Yeah. Excellent. And I saw um, I was just actually just looking a little bit on um, I was just on Twitter actually, and I just saw you you'd um, you've done something in Oslo this week that seemed to have generated quite a lot of energy. Um, <laughs> yeah. What was that all about? <laughs> Well, it was um, quite an interesting conference, the first of its kind, but quite a big setup um, around the future. How, to, how do we shape thriving cities of our future? Hmm. And um, I opened the conference giving a talk on, well, who are we actually shaping our cities for? Mm-hmm. And um, just actually going back into more or less the story of our evolution, that we've spent 99% of our time on this planet as a species completely in sync with nature, moving around like hunter-gatherers, constantly ch- sensing into new opportunities, thre- threats, and and that we worshipped nature and saw ourselves as one with nature. But um, in the past kind of only 500 years, we have disconnected ourselves massively from nature mm. um, and created like um, a separation from it in a way that I believe is quite damaging to... Yeah to our psychology and mental health and uh, we, have, we have disconnected us from our natural habitat and no species thrive doing that, but that's what we have done. And, and how can we then create cities where both ecosystems thrive and where human beings come alive? Because what I believe is that the st- stress we see currently, both in financial systems, our ecosystems, Our social systems are all interconnected. Um, We have never been as stressed and depressed as we are today. I think Gallup last month, or maybe it was September, issued a quite comprehensive study on on the global reported stress levels. And in the foreword, it says that collectively we have never been sadder, more depressed, more anxious um, than we are today. Wow. And I think that feeds in with um, the status of our ecosystems. We have lost 
Um, 70% of our flying insects population, many species have gone extinct. Uh, IBCC says we only have a few years to really solve this challenge. Mm. Uh, our soils is depleted from important minerals. I could go on and on, yeah. you know, stats. <laughs> but, it, but, but those two things just go hand in hand. Yeah, right. The more stressed we are, the less we are compassionate, the less able we are to think holistically, the more we consume. And then it's just this negative feedback cycle. So what I was doing at the conference was more to kind of step back a bit. And instead of having a, an intense discussion around Internet of Things and smart cities and technologies, which are important, um, sure. an important component of building cities, um, thriving cities of tomorrow, I believe a critical component that is missing from that discussion and dialogue is um, what actually makes us us thrive. And how can we build cities that that feels like walking around in a forest? And how can we build cities that are in sync with ecosystems and actually produce ecosystem services instead of just subtracting them and exploiting them? So that was my point. Yeah, and that's a, that's a, that's a, that's a great way to start a, uh, a session like that. I imagine that created quite a lot of uh, quite a lot of energy. You used the word, um, you know, this idea of of, of thriving cities and. Uh, you, you know, one of your, at least I see, you know, you're talking about this leadership for a thriving world is is one of your mm. missions, I guess. Tell, tell me a bit about that. Like what what does what does um, what does leadership for a thriving world? What's that all about? I believe that in terms of leadership, we are at quite a critical point. Um, we are being um, kind of. Um, not forced, that's not the right word, but yeah. it's we need to things take things to the next stage of evolution in a way. And instead of, I mean, I studied at business school because, yeah, that's a long story I can tell you later. Yeah. But I wanted to understand the machine from the inside out. So I went to business school I have, and I have my master's in, um, in basically, yeah, business, but also sustainable business strategies. And what I was taught in business school over, over 10 years ago was very much that old mechanistic mindset. Um, of exploiting all resources and only caring about shareholder value yeah. um, and also seeing human uh, resources as something that you should exploit and efficiency and KPIs and lean management and stuff like that, total quality management. All those, all those things were very much what my generation and the generation before me was taught. And I believe that is utterly destructive. Um, it's it's degenerative and it doesn't unleash creative potential. It doesn't unleash um, the creative powers that we have within us. It mm. suppresses us and um, and it makes us miserable. Um, we have so much so many so much great potential being locked into a mindset where employees are basically just corporate monkeys, where they are driven by by a great sense of fear mm. that is um, that is kind of infusing our societies on, on many levels. Um, so I believe the kind of new leadership that we need is one where we don't we move away from the very rigid exploitative hierarchical structures and instead we start embarking on a living systems mindset where leaders see them more as ecosystems facilitators. So how how can we build thriving partnerships with with our stakeholders where we create win-win situations how do i see the organization as a living ent entity where my role is to unlock potential identify where are the acupuncture points where i need to kind of 
um, help make sure that potential is unleashed. Mm. Where where are the major flows? Where who are the keystone species? Applying that kind of mindset um, as an ecosystem facilitator, and and see yourself as as facilitating a process instead of um, instead of controlling an entity. Yeah. And and that is. Um, to explain it quite shortly, that is the yeah. main shift you need in terms of leadership. Because it's fascinating. Because I mean, I, I was sort of, um, you know, following your work, seeing your journey, and um, and, I, and I can connect to, to, you know, quite a few, um, you know, some of this idea as well. And I was thinking back, you know, like the sustainability agenda, and you know, mm. you, you spent many years with building the Sustainia, um, mm. right? And I think there's a I think I'm, there's a frame you I saw you using, which was sort of making the sustainability agenda more attractive. And it feels like we can you can be good to just go back to that bit again and to see because obviously now we're transitioning. At least your seems your mission is transitioning to something quite different. I think you know there's lots of signals that this sustainability is a thing. Actually, is you know what what does that really mean? And actually, are we, we we're trying to move into something quite different here? But can you tell me a bit about that journey and and from this kind of mm. sustainability agenda into something which is you know, the regenerator thing, which we'll talk about in a bit, but because mm. it feels like there's, that's quite a shift. There's something quite different that's sort of a different kind of energy, a different way of thinking and looking at the world. Yeah, I guess you could say that. So um, I started Sustainia really in the aftermath of the meltdown of the political negotiations leading up to, to COP15 and during the COP15. And and I was quite involved in in that and because as soon as know, like COP fifteen was when for because yeah be I'll, 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 I'll give the insights so um so a successor to the Kyoto Protocol yeah. had to be renegotiated and in two thousand and seven it was agreed that uh, the point in time where we would do that um, as a as a collective as the global society would be in December two thousand and nine. Mm -hmm. No, sorry, 2009 um, in Copenhagen. So um, Denmark was given um, the honor of being the host of that process in the spring of 2007. And I got involved um, in a group called Copenhagen Climate Council. Uh, which I headed for, for for the entire process leading up to the to the cup um, alongside other great people. And that was a, an alliance of business leaders like Sir Richard Branson and Jim Rogers from Duke, Duke Energy in the US, the CEO of, of uh, Chinese and Indian utilities. And, when, and the purpose was very much to kind of drive and make people aware of the business case for a strong global climate deal. So we traveled around meeting with negotiators and local business people and trying to build momentum. We hosted the um, the equivalent of the of the COP15 negotiations. Uh, we, we facilitated a, a similar process, but for CEOs alone, uh, we gathered 1,000 CEOs six months before the climate summit to, to negotiate the business recommendations, which was quite bald at the time. And how? Was, Anyways, I, I know it's a hard thing, obviously, because that's a huge community of CEOs. But yeah, at yeah. that time, what was your, you know, what was the takeout from that community in terms of these kind of these sort of ambitions? Was there, was it, you know, was well, the good thing, the good thing that happened leading up to COP uh, fifteen, um, almost ten years ago, was very much that. Um, sustainability, climate change policies. What the name of the time was very much low carbon business strategies. Yeah, right. Um, was very much put on the agenda, I think, thanks to the 
process and momentum that was built leading up to COP15. Um, so the good thing about that was it made many global companies aware that this is actually something that is of relevance to us. Um, but of course, I mean, there was lobbying on all kinds of level. Mm. But I think what what we succeeded with was delivering quite ambitious recommendations um, to the negotiators and sending a strong signal both from Chinese, uh, U.S., um, Indian, um, Brazilian companies that we were ready uh, to act. And that doesn't mean that all companies from all those countries were ready for sure. an ambitious deal, because if, if that had been the case, I think we would have had one um, by then. But yeah. we didn't. And I think a lot of the reasons why Copenhagen failed were, I don't know, maybe we weren't ready at that point in time. And thankfully, uh, six years later, we got one in Paris. But it was also due to very few... Um, um, sorry for just speaking my no, truth, fine. but no, 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 a few uh, male egos that just wanted to tr to kind of force a process through yeah. without listening yeah. to all key stakeholders and just wanted to kind of um, yeah force through something um, top down. Um, so a few months before Copenhagen, things started to just kind of fall apart. And um, and what happened those two weeks in Copenhagen were interesting and not pretty. I wasn't personally involved in in, in the intense negotiations, um, mm -hmm. but um, but I was just in, in involved in that process of yeah. of, of being, um, business momentum and and support. But that meant that after that process, many of us who had, who had dedicated basically uh, years of our lives for that were very depressed. And, and so was I. Mm. Um, and just overwhelmed by um, by kind of hopelessness of what, what can we actually do now. And um, so I started an alliance um, of global communication experts and companies that dedicated a year. We started about, I think, six months after the, after the, the COP15. Mm -hmm. and, the, and, the, and the intention was um, that we all felt that what, what, really need, what, what was really needed was a shared vision of what does it actually mean to live in a sustainable society? Right, Where are we right. heading and what solutions are available? And move away from the very doom and gloomsday rhetoric and the pointing of the fingers and um, the catastrophe scenarios, because that that doesn't motivate people. It it I mean we have plenty of studies that shows that that kind of communication um, it triggers something neurologically and it triggers our fight or flight. And when we don't feel that we have an opportunity to act and do something about that gigantic threat here and now. We pretend it doesn't exist. Um, and therefore, we needed a new way of talking about these things. Um, and we did a lot of things in that process. We developed principles for how to communicate about these things. We developed an animation series communicating about sustainability to kids with Pixar. Yeah. Um, and then I also wrote the guide to Sustainia. And while writing the guide to Sustainia, um, I saw a bigger potential for turning that into an organization. And we got a lot of support from great companies and Arnold Schwarzenegger and Farrell Williams. And then things just kind of escalated and happened Characters quite with quickly. small profiles, right? Yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brilliant. No, I think the intention was that we can't just involve the usual suspects. Sure. Because they communicate to those that are already converted. We need, 
we need kind of anchor people and supporters that can reach new new target right. groups. Um, so that was very much the um, the idea of engaging a profile like like Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. Um, and yeah, and then Sustainia became a, a great adventure and we reached, our campaigns reached millions of people and we developed scenario reports for specific sectors and launched the Sustainia 100 solutions portfolio. And the intention was very much to communicate in a vibrant, exciting way what's actually possible, what kind of solutions already exist, covering 10 different sectors, making people aware that that great things are happening out there, inspiring entrepreneurs to see the potential of of creating sustainable um, kind of entrepreneurial and adventures. Mm. So that that was sounds the, like a busy time. Different. Yeah, it was. It was a crazy busy time. Also fun and exciting. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Like learning, learning by doing, really. Mm-hmm. <laughs> what you've talked? I mean, obviously, there's, there's something of where that's where that story went and 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 Mm -hmm. i guess what has has birthed your new journeys but Mm -hmm. i'm interested i think i've heard you say before that you you know you feel a big a a sort of big responsibility on your on your shoulders to show up for the planet Mm. and i'm really interested by that um tell me why that is where does that come from that's a good question. <laughs> and I don't think I have the answer to that. It's just something that I've always felt. I was this sensitive, weird, introverted kid growing up in the inner inner Copenhagen. Mm. Um, but thankfully, my parents sent me to forest school. And for me, being in nature, was it felt like my, my natural habitat. It felt like that was really... Uh, the space where I could be myself and mm. I felt very connected to trees mm. um, and was just um, was always very aware I mean I'm I'm I grew up in the in the 80s um, and that point in time sustainability was not something that was discussed what was yeah. discussed was ozone layer and uh, an acid rain yeah I remember it um um, my parents were my, very much into organic produce and, and helped inspire me in, in that direction. Um, but I also always had this kind of sense of responsibility. And I remember being around eight or nine and seeing a documentary about how the Amazon was completely being destroyed by oil, oil companies. Mm-hmm. And that really, really kind of woke a, a worry in me. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I started this com- campaign for... Um, for kids where we raised funds to buy up pieces of the rainforest. So it's always been kind of like, yeah, this sense of responsibility um, mm. that has been both good and bad. I mean, yeah, it's, it intrigues me because I feel similar connections and have done. And I was, <laughs> I spent my childhood feeling most comfortable on my own in the woods. <laughs> so I'm sort yeah. of, I'm interested where that responsibility thing comes from because what, you know, why, why, why do some of us feel it very, very, very strongly, this kind of responsibility or care or what is it for something greater? And, and for others, it's not as obvious, you know, or, or sometimes it, and I'm just curious about that. And um, yeah, I don't think any of us has an answer. If yeah. I was, if I had to give you one, I think it would be of a more esoteric character. I think some of us are just um, born more in tune with that and mm. are here because we have an important mission mm. um, to to change things and and I've always had this sense that um, my life uh, and the time that I've been given on this planet that has been quite clear to me from an early age 
that the time I spend on this planet has to be spent, um, has to be a value. It has to be a value of what matters the most to me. Um, and that's still very much how I, I live my life. Um, I, I just, I crave desperately and maybe sometimes too much to, to have an impact hmm. and to be able to look myself in the mirror and tell myself that I'm actually, I'm making a difference. Hmm. Um, and I think some people have that uh, as a, as a driving force more than others. Nice. It's, it's, it's super interesting. And I think, um, so you were talking, when you were talking about the, um, back to the cop stuff and the the kind of ego particularly sort of mm. the male ego side of things and um i guess the art of listening or that wasn't there at that time mm, exactly and, and uh and it's interesting seeing um sort of feeling and seeing and this really coming through a lot now you know the the sort of the, not just the need for listening on so many levels, you know, just like the need for people to be listened to and uh, the need for kind of leaders to listen. Mm. You know, so everywhere you look, you kind of sort of sense that actually there's a, there's a lot of power in, in, in creating more, you know, these practices of listening more. And, and that's that's a regenerative practice, I would say, right? Or it feels like For sure. And it's yeah. also something that we teach in our uh, leadership seminars. Right. We teach, so, so what kind of what kind of practices is regenerative leadership practices mm. and something that is um, quite interesting now that now that we are talking about the process leading up to to cup 15 and then comparing it with the process leading up to cup 21 and right. of course it had the advantage of um, learning from the failures of, of copenhagen but there was something else that was quite interesting so the lead negotiator from from France, um, the host of the COP uh, of the COP twenty one, Nicolas Hulot, was has, is is one of I, I think France's most kind of charismatic and impactful environmentalists, as and has been fighting for the environments um, since he was a kid as well. And and it was quite remarkable that he was being asked to be in charge of the process um, by the French president. And of course, in collaboration with the UNFCCC, which is the UN kind of entity that is facilitating the climate negotiations, the head of that, Christiana Figueres, um, mm -hmm. was appointed after the COP15. So the two of them um, was a strong team. Um, Christiana Figueres is amazing. And she's known for prioritizing events where you listen and speak from the heart. Yeah, no, I've, done so, bit, I've done a bit of work with her last year and she's an extraordinary woman. Yeah, she is. And she very much prioritized meeting all kinds of people. And Nicolas Zulot and, and Christiana Figueres also hosted and facilitated a Below the Radar Summit for key negotiators and spiritual leaders um, in France six months before the COP21, where uh, you were not allowed to bring PowerPoint or prepared statements, all kind of um, heads of states and negotiation leaders and spiritual leaders present for those two days were called to speak from the heart. Mm -hmm. And we had all religions represented and there were small ceremonies um, facilitated by all major religions. And and it was, um, I'm told I, I was supposed to have been there, but I had a, a major injury a week before that, so I couldn't go. Right. But, um, but, but everyone was just in tears because they were asked to speak from the heart about right. why 
are we actually doing this and right. why do we need an ambitious result in Paris? And I think that 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 process played an instrumental role in making sure that we actually succeeded in Paris. Yeah, right. And this is what's so interesting, I think, about this idea of regeneration. And in many ways, and maybe this is you can talk a bit more about the the, the story that evolved from you from Sustainer and onwards, but my sense is, at least, when we're talking about, I guess, um, we're talking about renewal, we're talking about restoring, we're talking about reviving. Mm -hmm. it's a, it's, mm -hmm. For me, there's a sense of, um, I guess the question I'm in, the, the area I'm interested in is, like, do we need kind of breakdown, if you like, in order mm -hmm. for regeneration to happen? And I'm sort of curious about that at lots of different levels, personal, mm -hmm. uh, organizational, whatever, but... Do you see where I'm? Made, I'm what I'm looking yeah. at here, but yeah, I'd love to know your thoughts on that because yeah. if I, you know, if I look out now, I'm looking out in, you know, I'm lucky. I've got, a, I've got a little garden. I've got some patches where I grow veg. I've got some trees, and I look at, you know, we're right now in England. It's, you know, it's moving into winter. It's clear that there's been a lot of breakdown, a lot of letting go. You know, mm. there's stuff going on around me, mm. which is suggesting there's some death happening. There's some, you know what I mean? It's like so, mm. so, but. Outside, you know, the the business world and the kind of our cultural world, it's it's getting faster and faster, right? Mm. <laughs> We're getting towards Christmas and the advertising yeah, and stepping that's, up. That's... And what's what's going on here with all this this whole idea of regeneration? And I know that's yeah, a big. I would like to address but, that on on yeah, two levels good. because that whole um, that whole understanding of the fact that we are cyclical beings mm -hmm. and we are living on a planet um, that is cyclically in tune with the sun and the moon. And um, that's something that we have totally neglected mm. um, integrating into our lives. We live our lives as if we were in constant spring and summer, and we have collectively created a pressure on ourselves to constantly be flourishing and in bloom and putting new stuff out into the world. Yeah. And there's a lot of shame and stigma attached to taking things slower mm. and not being a success as we would define it um, success as in look at me in my new project or or look at me in the in the outside world mm. whereas what we teach in our in our seminars and a c critical component of all of what regenerators do is that we should celebrate autumn and winter mm. um, and that every day needs all four seasons um, for us to thrive, right. we need that. We need that time where we retreat, regenerate, recalibrate, um, because we can't be in constant production mode. It, 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 we can, and that's what many are doing. But that also means that what they produce lacks um, a lot of richness, a lot of depth, and people feel miserable while they're doing it. And many are so disconnected from their own inner nature that they that they almost really feel how the, or have an understanding of how they feel and what they want and what they desire and are very much lacking a contact to to their intuition hmm. and for us to thrive as 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 a species in a way um we need to integrate um all seasons in our day and 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 as i say celebrate the winter 
Yes. It's such a restorative, amazing process. And for me, it was something that I had to learn, um, learn the hard way. Um, and I learned it because I had an injury in the summer of 2015, yeah. um, a minor traumatic brain injury, which meant that um, that I, I basically couldn't do anything for um, for more than two years. And you'd been uh, going flat out to that point, right? Oh, yeah. 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 It happened from, from one day to the next. Um, um, and I thought that I was living like, the life of my dreams because I was working on something that I had been passionate about my entire life and it, we were doing well. And, um, but looking back, I was not thriving at, at all. Um, because I wasn't, I wasn't really in tune with myself. So I left, lived a life from my head. Um, and, and honestly was never really truly satisf satisfied wherever I was. Um, we could have had a successful event um, at work with Sustainia. And I always would have this sensation that it wasn't quite good enough. Mm. Um, and Or moving on immediately to the next thing instead of being present with that moment and celebrated. I would always kind of be intensively on to the next thing. And my weekends were my, very much, um, I mean, my partner at the time, not, not at the time, he's still thankfully my partner <laughs> but at the time yeah. my i drove my partner mad because yeah. i left i tried to live our weekends as if, if, if it was a project we had to succeed as as well making all kinds of plans and stressing around and just like being a nightmare to be around to be honest and then uh, i had this injury which meant that i couldn't do anything and no doctors could really help me i just needed time to heal and i and in the beginning i wouldn't accept that mm. I couldn't believe so that. I just, I just wanted back to my mission immediately. I hated being. I hated being this vulnerable, uh, sensitive human being because yeah. I was extremely sensitive. I I couldn't tolerate sounds and I couldn't be around people. Um, I was just nauseous and feeling terrible all the time. And and my coping strategy was um, was to apply my project management hat. And um, and investigating all kinds of uh, doctors that could potentially heal me. Right. Um, so I, yeah, totally looking for the fix. I mean, please help me get me out of this nightmare. Yeah. Um, and of course, nothing worked because it meant that my that my brain was in constant high beta. And a brain in high beta, like uh, fight or flight mode, cannot heal. It's just, and it was my brain who, who needed healing. Right, right. Um, That's the regeneration so, piece, right? <laughs> like yeah, the... exactly. And it took me many months. Um, yeah, nothing that I'm that I'm proud of, but I've just accept, accepted it. Yeah. I think it took me, um, yeah, about four or five months until like finally got it that I, it was quite a, a, um, a symbolic moment in a way. It was a few weeks actually before the COP21 in Paris. Um, it was November, 2015. And, um, and I had constantly been to my team like, I think I can make into Paris and da -da -da, and you just do your thing and I'll be ready for Paris. And then three weeks before Paris, I had to look myself in the mirror and accept the fact that I could barely go to the supermarket. So there was no, no way that I could, I mean, even going to the airport would be like impossible. So I canceled 
and instead I um, I booked a, a silent retreat in in the forest um, while while COP21 was going on. Yeah. And that became quite a fundamental shift for me, um, just kind of surrendering completely to silence. Um, How long was that for? How long was that for? Yeah, I think the retreat in itself was yeah. only like four or five months, but it meant that I started to integrate that into my life completely. And I just kind of completely accepted the fact that I could not work. Yeah. Um, so there was no trying and there was, uh, so it meant that, that letting go basically on, on yeah, totally front. letting go, yeah. shedding ego completely yeah. um, and just spending huge, time in nature. Huge. That's huge to, to totally let go. I mean, it is, cause but I, it also, I mean, yeah. it, um, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to sound like a hero. I mean, it did take me, it didn't take me four or five months yeah. to let go completely. I mean, I only say, cause my, from my own experiences, I, I had a, I guess a trauma experience 28 burnout became type 1 diabetic and I didn't really let go for quite a few years you know? mm. I tried but I just didn't give myself the time and fought it fought it fought it and of course mm. it of course you never really break through because you're still holding on to something so I think it's a very interesting you know, I, th I have let go of it now, <laughs> but it's me, yeah, did, and it's something you can apply to your life on on in in so many levels, right? Mm. We are we are we are we are raised in a society where control and fear is quite dominating, mm. and where we can where our minds can can set ourselves to do all sorts of things, and we have a very hard time letting things of go, letting mm. go of things, although they don't feel right. Mm. Um, and for us to be more regenerative beings, we need to be more in tune with what actually feels right mm. and accept the fact that we need to let go of things mm. that doesn't feel right instead of spending a lot of time and energy and resources and making that thing feel right. Yeah. And Sometimes then, we yeah. just can't. And, and then, the letting, and then, letting go is an art form in and of itself. I think so. And then, and then be, because allowing yourself to then to grow in, in different ways and ways that you can't probably even imagine at that point, you know, and I think that's... At least that's how exactly, and, sort of and, and that's a, a main point in terms of, uh, of how does a regenerative leader um, strategize for his or her business. Hmm. And, um, and you, you can't really have a five-year plan. You can have an intention and a vision of where you want to head. But that kind of rigid focus on Q1, Q2, Q3, I mean, it's insane. Yeah. What we need is to kind of nourish a receptive responsiveness and an evolutionary purpose of constantly sensing into what is my entity asking of me to create now. And I don't, I don't mean that you need to do that um, on big things from, from day to day. I mean, of course, you need to have some plans sure. in place. It can't just be chaotic, but it's about prioritizing a new way of, uh, of your, your entity, your organization being constantly in tune with what is actually the right thing for that entity um, instead of just sticking to a rigid plan that you agreed upon with, with your board of directors six or 12 months ago. That's kind of insane because we live in a world that is changing constantly and rapidly all the time. So we need a new approach. And that also goes for how we live our lives to mm. just let go of what we thought at the beginning of the new year or whatever. And instead, uh, practice that constantly sensing into what what are you being called to do at certain and given moments. Yeah, and you and I've I've seen you mention this side. Well, for you, like trying to prioritize stillness 
and creativity mm. i think you've 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 said and tell me a bit about that like because my sense of that is you know yeah sort of being still in a world that is just <laughs> going 100 miles an hour mm. uh tell me about that and and why is that important for you it's important because i don't want to let go of what was um nurtured inside of me in those two years of silence mm. um it's important for me to not let go of that uh, ability to have creative impulses. Um, for example, regenerators was something that this is going to sound a bit weird, but um, I'm just just going there. Mm. Um, it was something, I mean, the whole entity, the vibe of it, the colors, the kind of the frequency, what we were called to do as, as this entity kept coming to me in, in, in dreams or more or less like in a meditative state because I, I spent a lot of time and still do meditating. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it was something that happened quite quickly it, and it just felt like this kind of force, kind of, okay, it has to be, it has to be birthed now. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and that is definitely something that came from being very um, closely connected to what, what my intuition is, is telling me is the right thing. And it doesn't mean that I'm, again, I don't want to sound like a perfect hero that has sure. it all sorted out because it's something that I need to um, to constantly practice as well. Because when I came back into the world about a year ago, um, things can easily get busy again. But what I try to make sure I have is space around everything. Um, space in 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 when I when I plan my week, I make sure that I have those autumn and winter time kind of spread it throughout my week because yeah. I know I need that to recharge and constantly um, nourish that relationship to my inner nature. That means that I can show up into the world in a way that that I that I feel is the right way for me to show up. But it is a constant practice, and um, and and it's one that I need to constantly remind myself of, of because it's easy to get carried away carried away with work. Yeah, um, right. But so far, I I I I will say that I'm <laughs> I I'm very serious about about continuing this path and not letting go of that contact. So so far, I would say that I have succeeded sticking in 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 tune with with my inner being. I think I think though this is this is such an interesting thing though is such an interesting edge. It's funny as you as you were talking, a message just popped up onto my screen, and it's from a a buddy of mine that I go surfing with, and and uh, I don't live near the coast, so it's for me to go surfing is quite a big deal. But this is part of my regenerative practice, <laughs> and, mm. and he just said, you know, I know, you know, what about this? There's some waves Monday. Do you find that it's sort of, and and again, back if I were back, you know, if I go back a few years in my world and my work would be like Monday morning, what going surfing? Are you crazy? Mm. <laughs> but but, th- but I know what that will do for me, and then what that will do for those around me. Um, mm, exactly. My, you know, my family, the people I work with, whatever. And so, isn't there a book called "Let Let Your People Go"? Yeah, surfing? well, that's well, exactly. Yeah, that's 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 Yvonne Schoonard from uh, from Patagonia, and uh, yeah, exactly. exactly. But you know, that's for me. It's just a, exactly. It's a, it's for what whatever it is that 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 you know, we all have things right that help us mm-hmm. connect with our inner, you know, our inner self, or ground us, or, yeah, or exactly. regenerate us, right? And I guess this is the thing that's so interesting. Um, and you know, maybe we can get into the 
you know, the regenerator mission that you're now developing. Mm. But this whole idea of regenerative societies and, you know, cultures and leaders and they're all, you know, whatever it looks like. But these things feel important to me, this idea of, you know, knowing what intuitively what you need, um, what what your, you know, what your being needs in order for you to, to do good work in the world and again whatever that looks like for people but I'm, I'm really interested in that because that's it's so countercultural as well though right so like this idea mm. of you know I'm parking this time this week you know that's that's my time no it's not a weekend thing and people go but that isn't that a bit selfish or isn't that a bit you know mm. but yeah but no right this is this is it's, it's completely opposite because if I do that then mm. I'm going to be able to give so much more um, yeah exactly and I, I've, 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 I've let go of kind of justifying it to people. And yeah. sometimes I'm just like, no, sorry, I have a meeting. And yeah. they don't need to know that it's a meeting with myself, but, yeah. it, but it is. <laughs> <laughs> I love that meeting with myself. Brilliant, though. But you, I, I get that. And I, but it's almost like but that's the kind of stuff that you want to ha- hopefully see normalized, right? That, that this, is, this is good. This is important, valuable stuff. Um, to be able to, because you, I think I've heard you use the phrase like inner sustainability and yeah, exactly. You know, tell me about and that, that. And that's that's as, as I said in the beginning. It's because I I strongly believe that the stress that we have on all levels and in all systems are interconnected, just like everything in life is interconnected. Um, and for us to solve this, we need to address this in a more holistic manner. Um, and I think for me, it's just incredibly important that it doesn't just become a, a discussion around inner sustainability without the outer sustainability for example mm. we need both we need both the technology the the financial mechanisms the political agreement um and companies needs needs to integrate the right kind of solutions but they also need to create their mindset and their work culture um and and what's and be responsible for what sort of stress levels they are creating um through their em- employees because everything we do in life um, the solutions that we decide to employ and how we treat our employees create ripples effect far beyond beyond what we can imagine mm. um, and that's also something that we talk about in our in our seminars that um, that we need to 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 create and nourish this holistic mindset of everything you do in life is an investment in what kind of world you desire. Um, and it goes on all levels. It's both how you treat your employees, your co-workers, um, and, and how you go about your day. And, and that can have a, a massive impact if you change things in a more regenerative direction. Um, and I think because of, 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 of the dominating culture of being very much in our in our head in our rational analytic analytical minds um we have also created sort of um an understanding in the sustainability community that um that it's only about circular economy and um the right kind of mechanistic implementation methods what we do today but just like in a more low impact way but it's still kind of business as usual sort of it is, um, and it's about doing less bad uh, in many ways. Um, and I would like to take things at a at a new level and and start having discussions where we dare to speak from our from our hearts. And instead of conferences where we show a lot of 
um, crazy complex slides of emissions reductions and blah 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 that doesn't really connect people and I, and I don't, and I don't want to dis, dis, disregard that it's important that we have an awareness around our emissions uh, etc but um, but I just really deeply desire um, a discourse and a discussion that is more holistic and where we dare speak as human beings that are custodians of our planet and we have done a terrible job at being that so far so how do we change things around and so this is this is I guess this is where the regenerators mission is right this is what your your work is now evolving into this kind yeah of, exactly this kind of twin it feels like there's these sort of I can't, someone phrased this interesting, but there's these sort of twin trails or, you know, there's the inner work and there's the outer work. There's the kind of work of our organizations and our businesses and our communities. But there's also this interconnection with, with who we are as, as living things. Um, mm. tell, so tell me about Regenerators. What's, where's, 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 where are you heading with this? And let people understand a bit so, about what it's trying so to do. So Regenerators is seen um, as a collective. And, mm -hmm. and let, me, let me start there first, because what does that mean? So what I desired after having after having been been a leader in a very hyper masculine world mm. where we where we are very kind of focused on carving out pieces to ourselves and having the right kind of titles and um and building castles yeah. i i i wanted something new i wanted something that felt felt more expansive more collaborative. So I, I did not want to send, set up a new organization and call myself a CEO um, and start hiring people. That felt really old school. Yeah. What I wanted and what I craved was um, a, a shared mission around creating thriving regenerative societies that focus both on regenerative design, mm -hmm. circular economy, biomimicry, etc. How can we change the mindset of how we design systems and services, but also regenerative cultures in our organizations, what we've talked a bit about, regenerative leadership, etc. Mm. And then the third level is um, regenerative living, what um, Giles Hutchins, who is um, one of my main partners in Regenerators and, and, and very much an instrumental part in setting all of this up from the beginning. Mm -hmm. He and I are working on, on a book right now on regenerative leadership that hopefully will come out um, in the summer next year. Yeah. And, and, and what we work on and, and the levels that we work with on the three levels of learning from nature in, in that exact book and the mindset that we also teach in our seminars is um, the concept of a living systems designer, living systems culture and living systems being. So the third level being how do we um, create awareness around regenerative lifestyles and um, and how we can be living more present life, more integrating the awareness of us being cyclical beings. Um, so it, it's, it's meant to be a, a collective and for now it's, um, it's only four people in a collective. We will soon start adding more people. And basically what we want is to create a movement of regenerators, mm -hmm. um, practitioners and professionals who are all working, um, from their heart and are dedicating their lives to, um, to address these issues that I just talked about. And, um, and are dedicating their lives to being a regenerative force in this world. And many of those people are working um, independently and, and have their own studios. Yeah. Um, and, and they are, and they can continue do, doing that, that Jazz has his own company as well. 
um, but sees a value, for example, in joining forces in the movement behind regenerators and that what vibe and that mission that we are on together. So the intention from my side is very much to create something that we're all proud of, standing, holding each other hand by hand instead of working in these silos, because we can't afford that. We don't have the time for us to working in our own little corner. We need to we need to stand together and we need to join forces, architects, biologists, systems thinkers, designers, uh, leadership experts. We need to we need to go hand in hand um, in this mission. And that the that is the kind of hope I or home I want to create with Regenerators, um, making it a lot more easy for us to co-create projects um, and get funding for that. We're working quite a lot right now in the space of regenerative architecture and, and, and cities. But my dream is for that to expand and for Regenerators in the collective to create um, new projects and initiatives that are all addressing the, um, the mission of Regenerators. Um, so it's very much a desire for me to create a new way of doing an organization. And that that takes constant kind of checking in with me, what does actually feel right. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and also constant ego shedding on my side, to be com- completely honest, um, because we all have an ego. And I don't want to be the, as I said, the CEO or this is my thing. I want this to be our thing. Yeah. Um, so that's, that also create uh, or means that I constantly need to check in because I, I don't want this to be my thing. I want this to be our thing. Um, the, yeah. it's, it's, it's so fascinating because there's so much going on there. And I guess this is this thing of also like, you know, you're tr- transitioning to these different ideas, these different models, these different systems. And mm. it's, you know, we're sort of, you know, and I think that the whole idea of, you know, ownership and leadership and organizations that aren't that are that are designed in different ways. And yeah, it's messy, right? Because this starts this starts happening live, you know. And uh, mm. um you've talked about the architecture piece and the city piece. Is is mm. that why why is that, you know, that's I say that's I guess that's one one area of this work. But tell me a bit about that and why why do you think why are you drawn to the to place? I think- what we have prioritized this first year, because mm. we we launched in February, yeah, um, and on purpose, I I have not wanted to grow the collective massively um, because I wanted to kind of anchor it first instead of um, in, inviting everyone who could be of relevance be- sure. because of a need to show a lot of people on 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 the website. But next year will grow, it will grow more. Mm-hmm. But the the areas we focused on this year and will continue to be main priorities is regenerative leadership. How do we create? How do we change the mindset of how we actually run our organizations? Because that's so, so massively important, and that's the mind shift that we need right now and how can regenerative leaders be uh, trained to think about the inner and outer sustainability and that it's not just um, about circular economy and biomimicry and stuff like that which is incredibly important it's also about how yeah all the inner stuff as well yeah and then um, another component that we believe is incredibly important is soon um 70% 70% of the global population will be living in cities. Right. And it's also the place where people are the most um, afraid, anxious, and depressed. And f- to turn that around, we need to focus on how do we build cities where people come alive and where people can truly thrive. Um, and how did, can we have an aspiration to build cities that functions like a forest and that actually... Um, produce ecosystem services instead of just 
um, taking advantage of ecosystem services. So for me, that's something that is incredibly important. How can we create those um, guiding stars, those regenerative hops uh, that can serve as a flagship or a beacon of light um, mm. that shows that this is actually possible right. um, when we work holistically and integrate a lot of different um, expertise and, and mindset. So that's something that I'm very passionate about because leadership and where and the physical kind of manifestation of how we live our lives in cities is is such a critical component. And how does I, where you are like because from the outside like so someone like Copenhagen for instance always seems to feel like there's there's energy for this tell me is is is, is that a is, is that a, a city that's on its way to being a regenerative city would you say or mm, I think it has its potential but <laughs> um but it's also I mean Denmark and Copenhagen has has for a long time been sort of like um the good students yeah. in terms of sustainability, but it's also about continuing to have that political will. And right yeah. now that doesn't look that promising. Yeah. Hopefully that will change in the next elections, but it's something that we need to, to con constantly be mindful and careful about. Um, there's some potential in, 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 in Copenhagen as a city because of, um, because of its size and because of um, the political environment in Copenhagen that is very supportive of, of, um, of, keeping that position as being um, a sustainability pioneer. Mm. So there's definitely a lot to be said around that. And and what I'm keen on is how can Copenhagen be a living lab for a regenerative lifestyle, a regenerative architecture, etc. And, and thankfully, we have a lot of global pioneers who are mm -hmm. based here in Copenhagen. So there's a lot of potential, definitely. Someone's um, stumped, I think I stumbled across something, I think it was on a podcast, I can't remember, but it was talking about the aspen forests or the tree that, mm. you know, that, that it's a, a, um, a tree that shares the same root system. So you have the, you know, this individuality of these individual trees, but, and these forests can grow to huge scale, but actually mm. they share the same root system. And I thought there was something really interesting in that around, um, so, you know, the individual has to is connected to the whole right the whole the whole forest is yeah and that goes for the my mycelium and all forests right that right. all trees are interconnected and share resources and com can communicate what, via the mycelium that yeah. is the fungi attached to the roots um and uh, and we have the potential to do to do the same on many levels a very practical level is to see it's i mean the mycelium is very much a, what it's also called the wood white web uh -huh. and we have we have the we have the internet and we have um the sharing economy is one example of how can we use the internet as a constructive force in terms of making it easier for us to share our re resources yeah um and, but there's there's another level as well, of course, that whole understanding of us being interconnected on many levels yeah. and that we're really all one. Um, and this connected by about this idea of, of you know, you know my, my health is also connected to your health. There's something about yeah. that idea of this, you know, these shared root systems and this idea that, you know, because again, that sort of, if we are moving from a, I guess a, a paradigm which was about you know mm. get ahead of everyone else you know mm. and you know I can't you know you know but if we if there is something around this you know actually your your health your wellness is is important for my health and my wellness and yeah and that's very much how this how the forest thinks right 
when when a tree is not doing very well its friends around it does everything to give it all all the nutrients it needs right and to to thrive and come get on a good trajectory um and it's not until it's just there's no hope left for that tree that then that tree makes the decision to kind of before it dies to make sure that every nutrients it has left in its in its branch is um, is giving back given back to to the system and its and its friends and and no one is no one is stronger than the weakest link and that's something that that the society we have today has very much lost touch with that was also critical for us when we lived um, as hunter gatherers in tribal cultures um, we were we were one organism mm-hmm. and if one was suffering we were all suffering and we did our best to help that individual. And that's something that we have lost touch with com- completely. Yeah, no, it's it's uh, that whole that whole thing. I think is 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 super interesting how how to and I guess is part of this this whole regenerative idea of and back to maybe where we started from where where you started from about how you know this idea of caring and uh, mm-hmm. caring for something bigger. Um, I'm conscious of time, and we can we could keep going for sure. Um, where can where can people find or you know how can people connect with the work you're doing and just give me a sense of how yeah of how people can get on this journey or how they can understand more about the work you're doing mm. um go to our website and sign up to our newsletter where we are constantly communicating about new initiatives um become a member of of our facebook group which is the best alternative still we are looking into other means of creating global communities and there's there could be a lot of interesting things coming up next year um communities where we can easily share ideas and resources publications etc and create this movement of regenerators um you could of course also attend uh, some of our seminars new ones are coming up next year um yeah I think that's great. Well, I'll put all that. I'll put all those in the in the show notes as well. Um, great. So there's a question. Thank you. A question I'm I'm asking folks that I'm chatting to on this podcast. Mm-hmm. So obviously, my inspiration of the spaceship Earth and Buckminster Fuller. And there's a there's a really interesting um, idea for me that I've always connected to, which is you know we're on this kind of we're on this kind of rock. It's a it's a life giving rock, and we're hurtling through space. And uh, mm. it operates. You know, it, it can regenerate itself, and it you know has a, an operating system which, if if everyone kind of adheres to, will will keep will keep this this planet thriving and 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 living. And there's this idea that uh, I think Buckminster Fuller articulated, which I love, which was you know there's no passengers on Space Earth. We're all we're all crew. It only works if everyone is contributing exactly. to this thing and so knowing you know where, where you're at right now and the work you're doing where would you encourage crew right now where should where, where do we need crew what what should they be what should people be focusing on or where, where could you where could you uh, encourage people to go to now or participate where are the where are the crew needed in 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 your uh, your opinion right now <laughs> mm-hmm. um well i believe that the transition to a more regenerative world has to focus on how can we integrate the three levels of learning from nature? What is the DNA of uh, and the logic of life, which is living systems design? How can the products and the services that, that I use, how can they be conducive of life? How can they be aligned with the principles of life, meaning mm-hmm. 
are they regenerative in and of itself? And be a conscious, conscious consumer in terms of the choices that we all make because we are making investment in the world that we want every single day. Um, and what kind of culture uh, am I? Uh, are my actions contributing to? Are they regenerative in and of itself? And what kind of lifestyle do I live? I, is do I live a regenerative lifestyle? Hmm. Do I show up as the full potential that I that I that I can? Um, and constantly be aware of those three levels and tune in with that and look at your lifestyle and see: am I am I be a regenerative force for good, or am I being a degenerative one? Hmm. Amazing, Laura. Thank you for this and taking the time out. Um, thank you so chat. much, Dan. I really love your podcast, oh. and, uh, and it's such an important initiative. So thank you for taking that. I know myself that it takes quite a lot to run a, a one man, one woman <laughs> show. <laughs> A one human show, um, yes. but it's all good. But listen, no, thank you so much for taking the time. I'm going to, um, I wish you loads of vibes and, and great energy for where you're going. I think it's amazing, the Regenerator Mission, and your journey is is super inspiring. So we'll um, we'll, we'll keep in touch for sure. And uh, yes. yeah, we'll connect again. But thank you for the time. Thank you so much. Okay, Laura, take care now. Bye. Bye-bye. So that was the uh, most excellent and inspiring Laura Storm. Uh, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. I certainly did. Um, yeah, keep an eye on Laura's work with the Regenerators and um, her co-creators behind that. I think that's going to be uh, a really interesting uh, journey that she is um, moving through now from 2019 onwards. Um, so, yeah, that was episode 13. So thanks again for listening. I really appreciate um, uh, the time. Uh, I really hope... Um, that these podcasts are yeah giving something uh to you and on that note i'd love to hear any feedback i get a few bits of feedback from people which is just super cool to get um a little a little nudge a little uh, a little signal from here and there i really appreciate it so if it's something if there's stuff here that you're enjoying please um yeah just uh give us a give us a signal you can um you can dm me on on Instagram at Dan Solos or on Twitter at Dan Solo or drop us an email, dan at danburgess.earth. Um, all feedback uh, is, yeah, really lovely. And and also if, you, if you're if you enjoying this, please, um, yeah, and you think someone else uh, you know might, please do share. And, um, and also, yeah, if you're listening on Apple Podcasts um, and you like what you're hearing, again, just a little, give us a little rating um, or a little review. It all helps uh, more people find the show. So, yeah, lots more coming this year. Um, I've got, uh, I've been upping the conversation, so I've got a few more to get out. And my plan this year is to get a more regular momentum behind the Spaceship Earth podcast. Um which is always challenging as I'm a one man, uh, one man, one man operation. Uh, and uh, so trying to find that regular momentum is, is, is the challenge for me this year and amongst everything else in our, in our, in our, uh, in our, in our crazy lives. Um, but yeah, and there's, um, I'm, I'm hoping the spaceship uh, earth site will go live very, very soon. I've been working on that. Um, so that'll bring all these podcasts together. So I want to close this uh, episode thinking about the spaceship earth, mantra that there's no passengers on spaceship earth we're all crew and um just a thought for someone who at least uh in my view is probably like the, the sort of the uber crew member right now of of the spaceship earth and that's um greta thunberg um activist climate activist from sweden i think she's 16 maybe 15 i've been 
Um, just following Greta really since she did this talk at the end of last year at um, COP21. If you haven't seen it, just Google um, Greta Thunberg COP21 and have a little look at how she talks to, um, uh, the I guess, the leaders, the leaders of the world who are responsible for kind of trying to act on... Um, the big issues that are facing us as a planetary civilization, and um, she's actually right now at um, at Davos. And it's interesting. I've been chatting about Greta all, or pretty much every sort of meeting and session I've been in in January, just as an example of someone who, wow, like with the courage and bravery to speak to power and to speak how it is, and just like what could we, uh, what could we, um, what could we learn from how she is standing up. Um, and she's at Davos right now, which, you know, is this sort of gathering of the the world's power uh, in the mountains to sort of talk about uh, the problems of humanity and what to do about it. Um, and uh, she she was she's there talking to various panels of leaders and stuff. And, um, you know, she's just an extraordinary. I'd love I'd, I'd love I'd love to get Greta on the on the spaceship Earth. If anyone knows uh, 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 how to uh, how to do that, that would be great to have a conversation with her. But she's. She's um, she's at Davos right now. Um, she said something last night. I think it was the reason I'm here is to give my message to the World Economic Forum at Davos. If we don't start to care about the climate issue and take action, then nothing else they have to discuss here will matter. Um, and it's just you know it's absolutely true. You know David Brower said uh, back in the 70s, there's no business to be done on a dead planet. And um, 40 years later, it's it's even more true. Um, but yeah, what what an incredible um, individual. I mean, she started this climate strike, uh, school's climate strike in um, in Sweden, basically striking, uh, um, uh, taking time off school to strike, basically to protest against the government's lack of action on climate. Um, basically saying, you know, we're in school, we're learning, we're being pushed through a system to... Uh, to 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 take us through to a, a world that's is clearly going to um, struggle to operate um, if we continue to ignore uh, the signals and um, and that movement is is popping up and spreading all over the world schools uh, all over Europe taking action and striking and it's spreading and I think you know I just you know I think these voices and particular voices of the younger generation like we should be really like listening to this because um, many of us and uh, um, you know you look at all the issues many of the issues in the world today um, a lot of the complexity and enormous uncertainty is is going to be picked up by the next generations coming through and we could go on about this but I guess what I'm saying is um, check out Greta and how can we find ways to really um, listen to the to these extraordinary voices that are coming from uh, the younger generations who really, I think, are sort of seeing uh, what is going on and we should be listening to. Um, so I'll leave it at that. Um, uh, take it easy, everyone. Um, go well. Peace and out. Until next time. <laughs>